You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us take our Bibles and open them to the New Testament, Mark chapter 3. The whole chapter and the reading is chosen in connection with the petition, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched Him closely to see if He would heal Him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill but they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus withdrew with His disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all He was doing, many people came to Him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, He told His disciples to have a small boat ready for Him to keep the people from crowding Him. For He had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch Him. Whenever the evil spirits saw Him, they fell down before Him and cried out, You are the Son of God! But He gave them strict orders not to tell who He was. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to Him those He wanted, and they came to Him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with Him and that He might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve He appointed. Simon, to whom He gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. When Jesus, then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth, All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but 
Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This afternoon, I may bring you the Gospel from the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. We have a focus certainly on that petition, but definitely from the window of our reading in Mark chapter 3, and I'd like to just remind you of some of the verses we read in Mark chapter 3, specifically the verses 21 and 31 to 35. So in verse 21... It says, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And then we come to verse 31 when they arrive. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother And my brothers, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now let's turn uh, to our Heidelberg Catechism and read Lord's Day 49. What is the third petition? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men may deny our own will and without any murmuring obey your will, for it alone is good. Grant also that everyone may carry out the duties of his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Mothers and brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's our Lord Jesus himself who allows me to address you that way, for in the scripture we read, he himself stated that anyone who does his will is intimately related to Him. They're in His nuclear family, as it's called. Whoever does the will of God is my mother and brother and sister. And so, as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, I may address you in that way. That's an amazing teaching of grace whose meaning we need to plumb this afternoon. And we're going to do this in the context of praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because Jesus said, if we do God's will, we're in His family. And that's the family that you want to be in. In the Lord's Prayer, we address our Father. We pray for what we need to glorify His name, to promote His kingdom, and to do His will. Doing God's will means obeying Him. Our identity as children who pray to our Heavenly Father, is confirmed when we pray to do His will and not our own. Even if this world thinks that we are loony, even if our own family might consider us irrational or mad, 
Even if other churches scoff at us, we are here to do the Father's will. We must pray for grace to do this. So I may preach the Gospel with this theme, God's children pray to do their Father's will to confirm their place in Jesus' family. God's children pray to do their Father's will to confirm their place in Jesus' family. Jesus' saying about who are His mother and His brothers and sisters arises out of a situation and Jesus was very good at using situations as teaching moments. And the situation here starts from the size, the sheer size of the crowds. Jesus could not get away from the crowds. And we can see this all over the Gospel of Mark. I have my Bible open here to Mark 1, verse 28. And it says, news about Him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This is the way that Mark writes his Gospel. He gets right into it. This is only verse 28 of his Gospel. And in 1 verse 33, the whole town gathered at the door. And that's the door of the house where Jesus was staying. And that's the house of Simon, Peter, and Andrew as you can read in 1 verse 29. And that home in Capernaum became a base for ministry. It was home base for Jesus in Galilee. Now, after that first crowd, Jesus goes to bed and He gets up early the next morning to find a solitary place for prayer. 1 verse 35. But in 1 verse 37, Simon and his companions come looking and they find Him and they say, everyone is looking for you. Why are you running off? So Jesus couldn't get away. And at the end of chapter 1, Jesus heals a leper and then He tells him to be silent. Don't tell everybody about this. But then we read, it's in the middle of verse 45, that the man went out and just told everybody because he was so excited. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to Him from everywhere. Crowds, popularity, busyness. Jesus is like a magnet, even if He doesn't try to be. And then chapter 2 begins with the story of the paralytic who was lowered through the roof to Jesus to be healed. And this was, as it says in verse 2, because there was no room left, not even outside the door. And He preached the Word to them. And after this, Jesus went out beside the Lake of Galilee, but once again, 2 verse 13, a large crowd came to Him and He began to teach them. So there just was no way for Jesus to get away from the crowds. They were infatuated with Him. For some, He was their entertainment. For others, their new political hope. For others, He was their opponent. For still others, He was simply a phenomenon, a fad that... Everybody just goes to see. Yet for a few, He was truly their Savior. We read chapter 3 where Mark dedicates verse 7 to describe another large crowd from Galilee. And then in the verses 8 through 10, He speaks of many people coming to Jesus from Judea, Jerusalem, and Dumea, the regions across the Jordan from the east and around Tyre and Sidon on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean. 
because the crowd, of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him out, for he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. So just imagine, Jesus cannot even stand on the shore of the lake, lest he be pushed further and further into the water to the point of drowning. The crowds are uncontrollable. They crowd in to get their sick healed. So Jesus has to resort to sitting in a boat offshore just so that He can teach them without constantly taking His own life in His hands. It's quite a situation. Jesus is very popular. And then after this, we read that Jesus appoints twelve disciples to go out. He does this so that He can multiply the work that He is doing, preaching and driving out demons. As it says in 3 verse 15, this is a partial solution to the problem of the crowds. You disperse them among the twelve. Well, these twelve have not yet gone out and we read in 3 verse 20, then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that He and His disciples were not even able to eat. Now, we simply read that Jesus entered a house. In fact, He came home, as other translations have it, and as the Greek idiom allows. He came to His home base in Capernaum to Simon Peter and Andrew's home, but even here, in His own home base, He has no relief from the crowds. And all through chapters 4, 5, and 6, if you read them with this question in mind, you see the problem continues. The problem is so intense that Jesus and His disciples can't even stop and enjoy a meal. Now that's rather contrary to the practice of Jewish society. Mealtime was very special. Everyone stops for mealtime. They recline. You're not supposed to be eating on the go. You recline. You put your head in your hand and you talk and you eat and you share. But now Jesus has come home and He can't even do that. The crowds gather so quickly when He arrives that He doesn't even have time to eat. He's tired from His journey, but He cannot relax. Now what does Jesus do? He doesn't keep His personal space and close the door and say, no, I need some me time. Jesus does not disperse the crowd, but He denies Himself relaxation. He denies Himself fellowship and food for their sakes. He Himself as he would say elsewhere, he is feeding on a different food. His food, as he says, is to do the will of his Father. Well, that brings us, it helps us understand the situation as Jesus' relatives hear these reports in Nazareth. And they just conclude that he is out of his mind. He has gone mad. He is so consumed with helping people that he must be crazy. He has no privacy. He can't relax. He's not even eating. He's going to burn out. Perhaps some of them also thought that he was too big for his britches. Who does this humble Nazareth boy think he is? These crowds are driving him into a frenzy. He's feeding off of them. He's forgotten who he is. We need to get him out of this situation, away from all these causes for excitement. It's time to, quote-unquote, bring him home. If he won't take care of himself, then we'll have to do it. 
We need to rescue Him from Himself. It's for His own good. That's the way they're thinking. And so they set out to walk to Capernaum about 30 kilometers north along the Sea of Galilee. What's the setting for Jesus' words about who are His real family? What we just reviewed from chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 is picked up again in 3, verse 31 to 35. Because in verse 31, Jesus' mother and brothers arrive. In between those two passages, Mark tells us about another kind of rejection of Jesus, a worse rejection. The Jewish leaders do not simply say Jesus is out of His mind. They say He does His mighty work by being in league with the devil. He's in His right mind, in one sense, only He has sold Himself to the devil. And this, to say this, is the sin against the Holy Spirit. It's far worse than Jesus' family, and yet from both quarters He suffers rejection. That's what holds these passages together. Now, as Jesus' family arrives, the reports that they've heard are just confirmed for them. They can't reach Him. They must have felt justified in making their 30-kilometer trek. What a situation! This is just Jesus, their brother and son, and they're stuck outside. They need to send a message through the crowd person by person until it finally reaches someone close enough to Jesus that they can relay it to Him. Oh, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. They're stuck outside. They're looking for you. And those words, that they represent their claim on Jesus. They're saying, Jesus has to drop what He's doing and come and see them. They have the privilege of kinship. They are relatives. Whatever right others may have to Jesus' attention, they have more. Blood is thicker than water. Now the moment when this message arrives at Jesus becomes a special teaching opportunity. He begins with this very odd question. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asks, as if he doesn't know. And this opens the people's minds for the teaching opportunity. He makes them puzzled on purpose. And then just as his question sinks in, he sweeps his gaze over those seated around him. He, he motions with his uh, hand probably, and he answers his own question. He says, here, here are my mother and my brothers. In other words, you're my family. What are you talking about? My family's outside. My family's right here. You have the privilege of kinship. You have the rights of my attention. For whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. That's the climactic statement. This is the thing that all these people are to go home remembering for the rest of their lives. And moreover, since Jesus had swept His gaze uh, and looked around at them, He is saying that they were doing God's will. By sitting at His feet and hearing His Word, they were doing what God commanded them to do. Jesus' blood relatives, on the other hand, were not in line with God's commands. They were sadly outside the circle while others were taking their place. When His answer reached them, relayed back through the crowd, they must have been stunned. Jesus was teaching them not to oppose the work of God. 
They had to let Him do God's will and they themselves had to do God's will. And on this foundation, a new family would be built. A family of believers who serve God. It's just like Peter who later tells Jesus, no, you must never go to Jerusalem. You should not die. Far be it from you, Lord. In the same way Jesus' family wants to tell Jesus that you must not suffer hunger You shouldn't show such perfectly selfless love. You should not sacrifice yourself for others. Take care of yourself. But to Jesus, this is all a temptation from the devil. Satan is attacking Christ through those closest to Him. He's trying to turn Him away from the road of suffering, the road of our salvation, the road by which Jesus will gain a new family. They think they are being true friends. They really love Him but they're misguided. They do not realize that Jesus has food of which they know nothing to do the will of His Father in heaven. The unreformed churches, that is to say the Roman Catholic church in particular, mistakenly thinks that Mary's physical link to her son, Jesus, grants her a special hearing in His presence. How could He ignore His own dear mother? That's what they ask. But Jesus says that the water of baptism, when acknowledged in true faith, is thicker than blood. Blood is not thicker than the water of baptism. No, the church is the true family of God. Whoever loves father or mother son or daughter, brother or sister, wife or husband, more than me is not worthy of me. He cannot be my disciple. As Jesus said in Matthew 10. I recall a Reformed family whose wayward son had sadly left the Lord, left his church. Later this man was charged with drug trafficking, which was just one of his many offenses, but one that he got caught on. And he was put in jail awaiting trial. And the police remarked that they had never before encountered a family, namely the parents and siblings of the fellow in jail, that supported the guy's wife and... or live-in, I think it was a live-in, and the child. Instead of blaming her for all the troubles that their son had come into, they recognized his responsibility. They didn't love him uh, more than loving his righteousness and his salvation. To truly love him, they wanted to put righteousness and justice and service to God first. Now, that wasn't a situation within the church as such. But you see the principle. Christ wants us to love righteousness and truth and to love Him above all. To love others in Christ. John 14, verse 21, Whoever has My commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves Me. And 14, verse 23, If anyone loves Me, he will obey my teaching. Note well, congregation, 
In our text, Jesus states that those who do His Father's will belong to His family. In John 15, verse 14, Jesus says, You are My friends if you do what I command. There's no separation between what the Father and the Son command. Our participation in the family of God is made evident and it is confirmed by doing the will of both the Father and the Son. That's exactly what the Lord's Prayer has in view when we say, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not praying there about God's secret providence. We're not saying, well, we wish for healing, but may God's will be done. It's out of our hands. No, you see, the Lord's Prayer is about doing God's commands, His written and expressed will for our conduct. This is the will of God which we need to do in order to be part of Jesus' family to confirm that we're in. It covers whatever the Father and the Son have commanded and recorded in Scripture by the Holy Spirit. So, what's Jesus' specific command for entering into His family and remaining in His family? It is, first of all, to sit and listen to His teaching with a believing heart, just as that inner circle upon whom He swept His gaze was doing. There is a time to be Martha in the kitchen, but nothing Martha does in the kitchen will please the Lord unless she has first, as Mary, chosen the better part by sitting at Jesus' feet to hear His Word. This will not be taken from her as the Lord said in Luke 10. The first command Jesus ever uttered is still the first to be obeyed. Repent and believe. When He said this, He was expressing the will of His Father in heaven. God was commanding this through Jesus Christ. Doing God's will by believing in His Son Jesus confirms that we belong to Jesus' family. Building on that rock-solid foundation of Jesus Christ by obeying all the rest of God's commands in faith. That's further proof that we belong to Jesus' family. But none of this is easy. It's not natural to fallen sinful humans. And therefore, we act as children of our Father when we pray to do His will. This is where the words of Jesus about who belongs in His family and the words of Jesus in teaching the Lord's Prayer come together. Jesus taught us to pray to our Father. He taught us to pray that we might deny our own will and without any murmuring obey God's will, for it alone is good. And then exactly in line with this, He states that whoever does the will of God is His mother and brother and sister. They're in His family. If you are in His family, then like Him, you also have God as your Father in heaven. Jesus thus allows all those who have faith in Him, who obey the very first command to repent and believe, He allows them to pray to God with the confidence that this God is their Father. They believe in God's Son. God has saved them and made them His children. And now they seek to do His will in all circumstances. Yes, we still fall far short. We sin. We don't always look like children of a perfect heavenly Father. The Lord knows that. But then He asks this, 
What do you do about it? Do you pray? Do you pray for forgiveness? Do you ask for the Spirit so that you might do His will in all circumstances? There are times when we really desire healing or we pray for a job, pray for a wife, pray for a child, etc. And the Lord hears this congregation. But in all those prayers, there also has to be the prayer, Lord, help me obey. Help me know Your commands and do them. Fill me with Your perfect will and let me bend my will to follow Yours. You can pray that a hundred times a day. Never not once will such a prayer displease the Lord. He may still hide His face for a time, but that prayer that you want to serve Him, that will move His face to shine again for He commanded us to pray it. Those who unfailingly return to such a prayer will become more and more like God's Son, Jesus Christ. They will increase in obedience. They will become more bold for the Kingdom of God. They may find that some people think they are a little out of touch or even a bit touched, perhaps out of their mind, ridiculous, crazy. But then let God's children remember that even Jesus' blood relatives did not understand Him for a time. And they grew up with Him. By God's grace, we later read that they belonged to the early church. And we received the books of James and Jude, two of the half-brothers of our Lord. But at the time of our text, they still had to learn that the right relation to Jesus is the way of true faith. So even if you were a blood relative of the Lord Jesus, if you were a descendant of some of His half-siblings, it doesn't open the kingdom of God for you at all. It's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the same way that His mother to come into the kingdom of God by faith in her own Son. This family is knit together by the Holy Spirit who dwells in each member and unites us together in true faith. This should be a beautiful family, brothers and sisters. People who have really sought to do the will of God have always suffered misunderstanding, mistreatment. Great men who gave themselves to the work of the Lord at the expense of their own personal well-being have been thought of as deranged or demented. And if in the past, how much more today if the prophet Ezekiel could lie on his left side for 390 days for the sin of Israel and then 40 more days on his right side for the sin of Judah, who would say that he was crazy? The question, brothers and sisters, is not in those, those things today. It's in who obeys the will of God as expressed in Scripture for all people, for all the church. Our true identity does not consist in other outward or showy things, but in the attitude of our hearts which will be seen in how we obey God. One commentator of the 19th century, he said this, let a man be deeply sensible of his sins and spend much of his time in prayer and have no relish for the ordinary amusements or business of life. Or let a Christian be much impressed with his obligation to devote himself to God and act as if he believed there was an eternity and warn his neighbors of their danger. 
Or let a minister show uncommon zeal and waste his strength in the service of his master, and the world is not slow to call it derangement. And none will be more ready to originate the charge or believe the charge than uh, someone who is calls himself a brother but is ungodly, an infidel, or a self-righteous Pharisee, or a professor in the church. I believe the charge that person is crazy. Then he says this, at the same time, men may endanger themselves on the bosom of the deep or in the bowels of the earth for wealth or may plunge themselves into the vortex of fashion and folly and vice. And I think he was watching one of the reality shows in the 19th century. And, and men may break in upon the hours of when they should be sleeping and resting and they neglect their duties to their family and, and uh, the demands of regular life and in the view of the world, it's wisdom and proof of a sane mind because they're making a lot of money. That's the consistency of boasted reasons such as the wisdom and prudence of worldly men. Well, if we wish to hear the world's ridicule, then listen to the Roman governor of Judea named Festus interrupt the Apostle Paul as Paul is passionately preaching the resurrection from the dead. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. But as Paul replied, he was not insane at all. If people wanted to think he was, he would say that. Say what he said to the church of Corinth. If we're out of our mind, it's for the sake of God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. Let God's people be so fully possessed by the will of God that it takes over their mind, indeed their whole being. Let us be out of our mind for the sake of God's work. Let us be zealous in a way that the world and even many in the church might think is unreasonable. We're somewhat afraid of that, actually, I think. But if it truly is of God, there is nothing to be afraid of. We might even be found to be opposing God, as Gamaliel once said to his fellow Pharisees. That zeal for God, which is according to His Word, which unceasingly prays, Your will be done by us on earth as it's so faithfully done by the angels in heaven. That zeal, brothers and sisters, is too powerful to stand against. We need much more of that, and we must pray for it as part of this third petition. We want to obey God's will, not just without any murmuring, but with this heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. So our way of life has to confess that God's will alone is good. Yes, that it's truly good. Good to do what God wants. Even when you don't clearly see why. When you don't see good results immediately following when you do God's will. You still do God's will. He knows better. When we fail to see how good God's commandments are, it's because something else is distorting our vision. We are thinking in earthly terms. We are trying to judge the matter by the consequences as far as these puny little minds can figure it out. And all we need to do is just say, what's obedient to the Lord? What should we be doing? And we should do it. And this, brothers and sisters, it happens in our personal lives, how we excuse ourselves. It happens in church life. It happens in our role in society. So many of our decisions are made out of a fear. We need to be shrewd as snakes when we're in the midst of wolves. The Lord Jesus taught us that too. We shouldn't be stupid about this. But we should never compromise the clear will of God.
So brothers and sisters, let us never cease to pray and act as children of our Heavenly Father. Praying to do His will confirms that we belong to Jesus' family. We really want to do what God and Jesus Christ command. We want our desires, motivations, direction, and actions all to be in one line, pointing straight to God. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.